Thanks for listening to the Church at Severn Run Messages podcast. You can find more information about the church at severnrun.com. Enjoy the message. Hey, folks. Uh, the bed's as good a place as any to run when you're scared, don't you think? Any, any, anybody do that also? You like to, you, you like to run to the bed? I got to tell you what, like this is a, this is comfort zone right here. Comfort zone. The, um, I, I got to, can I, speaking of fear, Freddy Krueger is not my friend. No, I'm serious. I don't like the guy. Anybody like, you know, some of you are old enough to remember Freddy in here, right? How many of you, you remember Freddy? That was one of those moments I should have listened to my mama. I really should have. Kids, listen to me loud and clear. If your mother tells you, don't watch something, don't watch it. Can I get a big amen, moms? They're trying to save you a lot of scary nights in bed. Freddy Krueger's not my friend. Yeah, I went and watched it. I went and watched it at a friend's house. Mama didn't know it. She didn't know it until one night I'm laying in bed screaming her name, Mama, I need you. She's coming in there like, what's going on? I, um, there's a scratching under my bed. There's something scratching in, under there. And uh, here, here's the deal. I wasn't going to look. Right? I mean, that's how it goes bad in the horror movies. I have never understood. First of all, I don't even like horror movies, but the couple of them that I've seen, I just got to tell you, I don't understand it. The scratching starts under the bed, and then somebody looks. It all goes bad the moment that somebody looks. How many of you, you'll go ahead and admit it right now, you're a looker. You're a looker. Raise your hand high. Be proud. This may be the last time we see you. You know, I was not, I'm not, a, I'm, I'm, I'm typically not a looker. And then I, I, but I didn't equate that. I didn't equate my not being willing to look based off of scratching under my bed with uh, my approach, my entire approach to life in fear. I, I didn't put those two and two together. In fact, if you'd asked me kind of in my adult years, John, are you afraid of anything? Is there anything that you're not willing to take on? Is there anything you're not willing to face? I probably would have told you, no, I, I'm not afraid. I, I'm willing to do whatever it takes. Let's go. Let's do this. Let's not be scared. That's who I would have told you that I was. But it turns out that I had taken that symptom of not being willing to look, as, look at as a kid when I was scared, and I brought that all the way into my adult life. And it was showing up in all kinds of ways that I couldn't see, and I would imagine there's a whole lot of you in here today, even people that said, hey, you're one of the lookers, that there's a whole lot of things that we're not like paying attention to that we're scared of that we're not really willing to face up to and it's keeping us back in life. It's holding us back. It's not allowing us to live a life that God's calling us to live, one that is at full capacity. For me, it showed up in a lot of different kind of ways. I mean, there was a period of my life where it kind of showed up with that whole idea of, you know, kind of being in the store and looking at it and saying, hey, um, you know, I can't afford it. And rather than, rather than look and say, well, why can't I afford it? 
What am I doing with my money that's keeping me from being able to afford it? Rather than do that, I would just go ahead and pull the card out. Let it slide and not face the real fear that I was up against. Other times in my life, I remember back when I was in college and and I thought that I had a healthy, probably understanding of death. I mean, everybody dies, right? And then my great-grandfather died. His name was John Lawton Smith, my namesake as well as my son's namesake, my firstborn's namesake. And uh, he died 96 years old. No medications, just fell asleep one night and didn't wake up. It's the way to go, isn't it? I got the news that he had died and, and I remember kind of the overwhelming grief that hit me and then some way, somehow, I decided that I had other things that were more pressing, that were more important the weekend of his funeral. I didn't go to his funeral. And when I look back now, what I'm able to see is that, you know what, I didn't want to deal with the reality that is this thing called death. I didn't want to look at it. And then that manifested itself further in my life because when things would come up and things would be hard and things would be difficult, you know what? It was easier to take a drink than it was to actually deal with whatever it was that I was fearful of. And I would imagine that for most of us, there's probably something like that in life. We've got these, cope, we've got these coping mechanisms, don't we? We've got these things that we're using. All of us can be different, but all of us have got them. We've got these things that we are using that are actually keeping us, allowing us from actually facing up to the fear. It wasn't until I was kind of in my second round of rehab. You say, you went to rehab twice? Let me explain. It wasn't until I was in my second round of rehab with, with a counselor, and the reason why I was, I was in an outpatient program, because while I was in the inpatient program, they had set me down and said, hey, you're going to get out of here, you can see your counselor, you can go to meetings, and you, you, you know, just, just stay on track, you'll be good to go. I looked at him, I said, that's not enough for me. And they said, what are you talking about? I said, I need an outpatient program too. They said, well, John, that's going to be another six to eight weeks. I said, good. I said, I'll take it. They said, well, nobody's ever asked for that. I said, nobody's ever been as messed up as I am. Do me a favor, just give me the extra program. They said, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll do that. You know why? Because you only get to hit the bully in the nose one time. And when you do, you, you keep them down and you keep kicking. For me, that's what my alcoholism was. And when I was in the second round, this outpatient rehab, a counselor looked at me it said, there's two ways that you can spell fear. And this was the moment that I recognized, that I realized that I, hadn't been, that I had been running away from all of my fears. He said, there's two ways that you can spell fear. The first way that you can spell fear is you can forget everything and run. Forget everything and run. There's a whole lot of people that approach their fear in life like that isn't there. This relationship is getting too hard, I'm out of here. This job is getting too hard, I'm out of here. These bills are getting too much, I'm moving to a different town. We can either face our fears by forgetting everything and run, or there's a second way to be able to face our fears, and that is to face everything and recover. To look it straight in the face, and say, I'm coming at you. Are you ready for me? Let's do this thing. And through that, 
we can find real recovery from whatever it is that we need to recover from in life. Running won't get us there. Facing it is what will get us there. And as I was talking with the, the, of this concept for this message today with some of our creative team, we started talking about, hey, listen, you know, what are some great Bible stories that kind of illustrate this? I thought I'd just let you help me out looking for a Bible story to work with this morning. You got any ideas? Huh? David and Goliath, there was somebody that faced the fear, right? Jonah, there was somebody who didn't face the fear, right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Daniel. Moses. Peter in the storm. Noah. Folks, listen, from Genesis all the way through Revelation. By the way, every single story's got this theme running through it, doesn't it? It's the story of people that either decided to face their fears or it's the story of people that decided to run away from their fears. And that approach to life will determine at the end of this entire thing, success or failure. But I would just like to say, whoever chose Daniel over here, winner, winner, chicken dinner. (laughs) Except there will be no chicken dinner involved. Ah. Let's turn to Daniel chapter 6 for just a moment this morning. Daniel chapter 6, and beginning in verse 1, here's how the story goes. Darius the Mede decided to divide the kingdom. He was the ruler. He decided to divide the kingdom into 120 provinces, and he appointed a high officer to rule over each province. And the king also chose Daniel and two others as administrators to supervise the high officers and protect the king's interests. Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all of the others as administrators to, um, than all the other administrators and high officers because Daniel's great ability, the king made, made plans to place him over the entire empire. And then the other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way that Daniel was handling government affairs. But they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. He was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. Don't you just hate people like that? I mean, seriously, those are the people in your office. You're like, really? Well, that's how these other officers and administrators were feeling. Daniel's getting the promotion. Nobody likes it when you get the promotion, do they? They're getting a little jealous of this. And he was faithful and he was trustworthy. So they concluded our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion. And this is the first part where I'd like to point out that they made their mistake. They thought that Daniel was all about following the rules of his religion. And they thought that that's where they'd get him. So the administrators and the high officers went to the king and they said, Long live King Darius. We're all in agreement. We administrators, officials, high officers, advisors, and governors that the king should make a law that will be strictly enforced. Give orders. That for the next 30 days, any person who prays for anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty. Bunch of suck ups. 
will be thrown into the den of lions. And now your majesty issue the sign and sign this law so it cannot be changed. An official law of the Medes and the Persians that cannot be revoked. So King Darius signed the law and these guys thought they had him. They thought that they had Daniel. They thought that they were going to be able to get him to completely either change what he did and or that he wouldn't change and he'd be dead. He'd be out of their way. And Daniel's got this issue going on. You see, Daniel has been completely innocent in this particular situation, hasn't he? He hasn't, done any, he hasn't done anything. He hasn't hurt anybody. In fact, Daniel's presence in everybody's life has made the world a better place. Daniel is such a king. He is such, I mean, he is such a ruler that he is looked to with great respect. His king loves him. He's serving him loyally. Daniel's not doing anything wrong. And then this fearful situation comes up. Haven't you ever felt like that in life before? That you're just going along, like you're doing your best. You're looking and you're saying, hey, I'm serving. I'm living the way that I believe I'm supposed to live. I'm trying to show as much love to others as I possibly can. And then you're faced with this serious situation. And all of a sudden you're tempted. It's possible that fear could just kind of leak in and stop you. Because here is the deal. The enemy always wants to use fear. He will always use fear to stop your advancement. Daniel's just trying to advance. And here's what the enemy's trying to do. The enemy is trying to introduce fear into the equation of his life. But there's something that we need to understand fundamentally about fear. Fear can be a healthy thing, wouldn't you say? I mean, fear is what keeps you from walking up to the side of the Grand Canyon, declaring how beautiful it is, and then taking a dive. Right? We would call that healthy fear. But let me, let me define healthy fear for you. Healthy fear is built into the limbic system of your brain simply to help you survive physically, nothing more. It is designed to help you survive. It is designed to help you if you're out in the jungle to not touch the colorful frogs, okay? That's what it's there for. It's not designed to do anything else except to help you survive physically. To let that leak into greater areas of your life is allowing it space that it does not belong in. But we, as modern day human beings, we allow this to leak into every area of our life. We allow fear to leak into every area. And it stifles us. It is only there to help us physically survive. That's the reason why God gave it to us. Nothing more, nothing less. It's stopping us from living out our fullest capacity was never the intention of the creator. That was the intention of the deceptor. That's what he desires to use it for. And so Daniel's got this moment. He's got this moment of choice that he's got to make. He can either take this moment where the enemy has attempted to introduce fear into the equation and he can live in that. And I would say that this is a survival moment for Daniel, wouldn't you? 
He can either live in this equation of this survival moment or he can push through this. He can put his trust and his faith in this relationship that he has with God. You see, all these administrators and these officials, they thought it was about the rules of his religion. But Daniel recognizes that this is something more, that what is at stake is not the rules of his religion, that what is at stake is the relationship with an almighty loving God. Daniel got it. Daniel understood that number one, God is omnipresent. What does that mean? That means he is everywhere. If you go to the outer limits of this universe, God is beyond that. And if you go to the smallest possible particle that we could, that we could ever discover and we're still in the search because we can't find it yet, God is there. It does not matter where you go, God is present. The scripture also tells us that God is love. So what does that tell me? That tells me that no matter where I go, whether it's the outer limits of the universe or down into the smallest uh, particles that exist, I'm going to find the love of God. Daniel understood this. If I recognize that God is everywhere, that means his love is. You guys are quick. His love is everywhere. So if his love is everywhere, ladies and gentlemen, what in the world are we so afraid of? Why are we so scared? Because too often we're not looking around trying to be reminded of the fact that his love was everywhere. I, I, you know, recently in my life recognized that I'm not paying enough attention to the love of God. I was standing there on my back porch one day. And as I was looking out the, the back porch, I love birds. Uh, I love to watch birds. And uh, all of a sudden, this, this, this cardinal just flies down onto the fence. And I thought, you know what? That's the Virginia state bird. My, my wife's a Virginian. And so I know a little bit about the state. So I was like, that's the, that's the Virginia state bird. And the Virginia state motto, actually it's six Semperturanus, but that's a different thing. Its marketing motto is Virginia is for lovers. And I'm looking at this little cardinal that's sitting there on the fence, and all of a sudden, I'm not kidding, all of a sudden, God, like, God speaks to me and he says, John, that's just, I'm just telling you I love you. I was like, whoa, that's crazy. God just said, I love you. And now I can't, every time I see a cardinal, you know what goes through my head? John, I love you. Whoa. But you know, he's not just whispering that through the cardinals. He's whispering that through every blade of grass that's out there right now. He's whispering that through every breath that I take. God is constantly and consistently sending one clear, direct message to you. And that is the fact that he loves you. He loves you. The only thing that's keeping you from receiving it is fear. If you don't feel the love of God in your life, it's because you have placed so much fear between you and God that you cannot experience it. Daniel is in this moment of decision right now. Daniel has got to decide, am I worried about survival? 
Or am I worried about being disconnected from the love of God? Because if Daniel in this moment, right now, if he chooses fear, then he, then the, the administrators have won, haven't they? But not for the reasons they think they've won. They've won because Daniel will have distanced himself from the love of God. So what is Daniel going to do? Look in verse 10. But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and he knelt down as usual. Upstairs in his upstairs room with its windows open toward Jerusalem and he prayed, spent time with God, stayed in, connected in a relationship with his heavenly father, with the father that loves him. He prayed three times a day, just as he had always done. Did you hear that? Not as his religion had prescribed, but because this was Daniel's everyday experience with his God. He prayed as he had always done three times a day. And then the officials went together to Daniel's house and they found him praying and they were asking God for help. And they prayed, Daniel was asking God for help. So they went straight to the king and they reminded him about his law. Did you not sign a law that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone divine or human except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the lion's den? Yes, the king replied. That decision stands and it is the official law of the Medes and the Persians that cannot be revoked. Then they told the king, the man, Daniel, one of the captives from Judah, is ignoring you and the law. He still prays to his God three times a day. And hearing this, the king was deeply troubled. And he tried to think of a way to save Daniel. He spent the rest of the day looking for a way to get Daniel out of this predicament. Did you notice who's trying to get Daniel out of this predicament? The king. Please notice that Daniel's not trying to get Daniel out of this predicament. <laughs> is he? Do we see where Daniel comes before the king and pleads his life? No. Do we see where Daniel is like taking on any strategies whatsoever in order to be able to escape this situation? No. Daniel's comfortable with this. Because, you know, I think Daniel has thought about it. I think that probably when he recognized what was going on in his time and his talk with God, he sat down and he said, okay, what does this really mean? What does this really mean? What does it mean if I go into the lion's den? I mean, I've thought, you know, a little bit about my death and I never exactly thought that being eaten by a lion would be my choice. I mean, if I was given a multiple choice on how to die, that probably wouldn't be it. But okay, if I'm dead, then I still got the love of God. It's still real. Do I have anything to really be afraid of? You know, one of the reasons why most of us spend our lives in fear is because we've never taken the time to actually follow our fear all the way back to its beginnings. And I think if we would be willing to sit down and we'd be willing to face our fears and we'd be able to follow our fears all the way back to their beginnings, then we'd be willing to face whatever was to come. I was reminded about this the other day because I was standing in my, I was standing in our kid's bathroom and I was kind of getting ready for the morning. And as I was getting ready, my 14 year old son, he's walking down the hallway and he's got one sock in his hand and he's got this one sock and he is upset. He is mad. 
because he cannot find the other sock. And he is showing all the disgust that you would imagine a 14-year-old can show. He is upset about this. And as he's walking by, I'm standing there in the bathroom and I'm watching this unfold. And I'm thinking to myself, man, he's really upset about not having a sock. And then I thought, well, you know where he gets that from? That is totally how I act. That is completely me. I mean, I hate not being able to find what I want to wear. I mean, I've gone ballistic. I admit it. I've gotten really upset before when something was not washed that I expected to be washed. Some of you are like, he's evil. Don't judge me. I know what goes on in your house, people. I have gotten, I'm telling you, like, here I am. Like, I'm like, that. he's acting exactly like me. And then I thought to myself, why do I get like that? Do you realize that like every kind of negative emotion that you have inside of your life, in some way, shape, or form, you can track it back to some baseline fear. You really can. Take the time to do it. As you start to experience negative emotions, just stop for a second, breathe, and track that negative emotion all the way back to its baseline fear. So I'm standing there, and I'm like, why do I get like that when I don't have a sock? Well, because if I don't have the sock that I'm supposed to wear, then that means I'm not going to be looking like I want to look today. And for somebody who cares way too much about how they look, okay, then if I don't look how I want to look today, then I am not going to present myself in the way that I want to be presented. Then if I do not present myself in the way that I want to be presented, people will not see me the way that I want people to see me. And then if people don't see me the way I think that they ought to see me, then that might mean that people don't really love me. And if people don't really love me, then... I don't really matter. Folks, by the time I get done with this scenario, I am homeless in Little Rock, Arkansas. (laughs) And you say, how dare you pick Little Rock? I I hope none of you are from Little Rock. I'm just thinking like that's the worst place I could imagine being homeless. (laughs) Right? Like I, I live that whole fear out. And the craziest part is it's real. The craziest part is that one negative emotion, if I can't find a sock, really can be traced all the way back there. And so can yours. But how many of us have ever really taken the time to do that? We keep living with all these crazy energies and we don't know why. It's because we don't take the time to follow our fear all the way back. I was explaining this, we were talking with some staff this week about this and one of the staff members said this, they said, you realize that for a lot of our fears, it doesn't end up as homeless in Arkansas. I'm like, I know, I got that. They said, for some people, it ends up in death. I'm like, yeah, here's the reality, it does. I mean, that's all of our greatest fears most of the time, isn't it? Death, <clears throat> that's what we're scared of. That's what keeps us from like trying and moving forward and doing amazing things is because there's going to be this moment where we die. 
And most of us never want to look, like, look at that. And I just got to tell you, the reality is for those of us that kind of live in, in especially Western culture, we just ignore death altogether for the most part. Death is one of those things that happens on the news. And then we feel like we're shocked about it when it actually transpires inside of our lives. And we never take the time to sit down and think about this reality. Here's the reality that I am going to shock you with. You are going to die. It's going to happen. I don't know when it's going to happen. I don't know when it's going to happen. It could happen this afternoon. It could happen when you're like my great-grandfather and you're 96 years old and you just don't wake up. Dear Jesus, please let it happen like that. I don't know when, but here's the thing. The Bible says it's appointed unto man and woman wants to die. It's going to transpire. How about we take the time to go ahead and deal with that? Huh? How about we take the time to to recognize that this body is mortal. It's not going to make it all the way. Let's go ahead and accept the love of God through his son, Jesus Christ secure our eternal home in heaven and get on with life already and quit worrying about death. Quit letting that hold us back. Why could Daniel not be the one worried about a strategy to get out of this situation? Because he had followed his fear all the way back. If it's going to be death in a lion's den, so be it. But that death in a lion's den will not separate me from a relationship with an eternal God who loves me. He followed his fear all the way back. And then you know what he did? As the story continues, in the evening the men went together to the king and said, your majesty, you know that according to law of the Medes and the Persians, no law that the king signs can be changed. So at last the king gave orders for Daniel to be arrested and thrown into the den of lions. And the king said to him, may your God whom you serve so faithfully rescue you. And a stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. And the king sealed the stone of his own royal seal and the seals of his nobles that no one could rescue Daniel. And then the king returned to his palace and spent the night fasting. He refused his usual entertainment and couldn't sleep at all that night. Does it say Daniel couldn't sleep at all that night? Says the king couldn't sleep at all that night. You know why? Daniel had dealt with his fear. The king hadn't dealt with his. And very early the next morning, the king got up and hurried out to the lion's den. And when he got there, he called out to an anguish. He called out in anguish, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God whom you serve so faithfully able to rescue from the lions? And Daniel said, I'm right here. Long live the king. What a crazy response. This is the dude that just threw him up in the lion's den. And his first response is, long live the king. Talk about getting a promotion. (laughs) My God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouth so they would not hurt me, for I have been found innocent in his sight. And I have not wronged you, your majesty. And the king was overjoyed and ordered that Daniel be lifted from the den. Not a scratch was found on him, for he had trusted in his God. Do you know what you've got to do after first you've understood the nature of fear and what it is? And then you follow that fear all the way back. The final thing that you've got to do is you've got to outfaith the fear. 
How do you outfaith the fear? You walk into the lion's den. What? You do whatever's scaring you the most. Whatever's making you so afraid, go for it. The founder of the university that I went to, one of his best messages ever that he would give to us students is he would stand up in front of us, he would look at us, and he would say, ladies and gentlemen, here's exactly what I want you to do. I want you to take just a moment. I want you to write it down. What is your greatest fear? What is the thing that you are the most scared of? And we would write it down. And then he would say the message is over because what you're going to do right now is get up, walk out of here, and go face it. Wow. That's pretty crazy stuff, wouldn't you say? The only way to truly overcome your fear is to outfaith it. You've got to be willing to walk into the lion's den. What are you so scared of? Write it down. Take it on. Life's too short. You're going to die anyway. Secret's out. You might as well live what you've been given. Can I get an amen, church? I got to finish by telling you a story. True story. I'm going to keep the names out of it. It's one of those. It involves two pastors and a fishing boat. It's not me. True story. Two pastors are coming together. They're friends. They said, hey, listen, let's get a fishing boat so we can go out. It'll be a place that we can relax. It'll be a place that we can just, you know, hang out and have a good time. And so they, they went in together and they bought this boat. One of them had boaters experience and fishing experience and the other one had none. They bought this little 12 foot bass boat. And if you know anything about that, that's about as sturdy as a canoe. They buy this little 12-foot bass boat and they go out on the lake and they're not out on the lake very long when suddenly the guy who's got the experience on the boat fishing puts a hook right through his hand. He puts this hook right through his hand and he's never done this before and so he's looking at it and he's thinking, well, I know enough that I can't just pull it back out. So what is it that I'm gonna do? And as he's looking at this hook through his hand, Without a life jacket on, he passes out. (laughs) Did I mention he's the one with the experience? He passes out, but he doesn't just pass out to the bottom of the 12-foot boat. He passes out and goes overboard. There's one pastor left. (laughs) He has no boating experience. Except for the fact that he's got another pastor in the water that is now drowning. This is all funny now. You can imagine it wasn't too funny then. After about a 20-minute struggle, he gets him back in the boat. The one pastor wakes up soaking wet. He looks at his hand and says, I think I need to go to the emergency room. And he passes out again. (laughs) The next time that he would wake up, the emergency room. Meanwhile, after everything was done and over, the pastor who had the hook, his hand healed, and he called up his pastor friend and he said, hey, listen, um, when are we gonna go fishing again? (laughs) That boat now has one sole owner. 
There's no partnership any longer. Here's the whole deal. I don't know. I, I'm friends with both these guys. I, I, I know him. I, I don't blame him. I don't think I'd go out there fishing again either. But here's the facts. Too many of us have approached life in similar fashions. We were just going along trying to have a good time, right? We were just going along trying to do what we, 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 we knew to do. And then all of a sudden, we've been faced with difficult circumstances. We, we've been in a bad relationship. And so we've officially declared that we will never love again, right? We've lost somebody that we loved through the terrible circumstances of a disease. And we've decided never again. We've been through situations in our job front and we've said never again. And we've just let these fears build up and we've let these smoke screens build up. And as a result, it's our fear that's keeping us from the amazing love that God has to offer us. And if we'll just go ahead and follow that fear all the way back, we, you know what we will find there? we will find the same God that we find in the smallest particles of the universe and the one that's in the outer limits of the universe. He's right there at the end of your fear and he loves you and he's ready for you to quit being afraid and he's ready for you to step out in faith and go get it done already because he loves you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you enjoyed today's message, feel free to share it with your friends. And as we like to say, love well, live Jesus, and believe big.